Welcome to Convos from the Couch from Life Stance Health, where each episode you'll hear engaging and informative conversations with leading mental health professionals that will help guide you on your journey to leading a healthier, more fulfilling life. Hello, and welcome to Compass from the Couch by Life Stance Health. I'm Nikki Lanza. My pronouns are she, her. And on today's episode, I'll be talking with Jay Swanson, clinician from one of our Philadelphia offices on the topic of understanding the gender continuum. So welcome back, Jay. Thank you so much for having me again. Oh, very cool. Excited about this topic. I think it's really important for those who might not understand the term gender continuum to really kind of like kind of unpack this a little bit more, help people understand how we're, it's an antiquated view of looking at gender on a binary. So we're going to definitely dig into that for sure. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I know you were, uh, you were on not too long ago and you shared some things about yourself before, but do you mind just a little bit about yourself and then we'll jump in? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Jay. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I have a background in music therapy and counseling. Uh, I have a counseling license in Pennsylvania and I work in Philadelphia. Um, And I have years of experience working with um, young people who are grieving and um, who fall in the LGBTQIA community somewhere. Um, And then I myself identify as non-binary and queer. Great. Thank you. So jumping in from that platform, how we have it set up is we're just going to really dissect the terminology to help people understand from that point of view. So I think a great first question is even looking at the difference between sex and gender. So can you help clarify that? Absolutely. Um, at this point, sex is most commonly referred to what folks are assigned at birth, which is typically just based on anatomy. So female, male, intersex. And then gender is more of a social construct that society has kind of created that has become so ingrained that we associate it with things like traits and expression um, as having as having to do with sex, even though gender could actually be something we think of individually for ourselves. And so, so that makes total sense. And this is where we'll kind of continue to dive off from, from there. Looking at gender on a binary, I, I think we both agree it's very antiquated looking at that. And so mm-hmm. how can that be harmful to people? Yeah, there's lots of ways um, that that is and historically has been harmful for people. Um, again, gender is really something that has been invented by society and has historically been used to maintain a hierarchy between um, men and women, right? Um, It kind of has upheld the patriarchy for a very, very long time. The binary also excludes people who might not fit into the binary. Um, So people who just really don't feel um, like they are the gender that they have been given at birth, Um, or maybe people who feel somewhere, who feel like something else that isn't, uh, hasn't been invented. by society quite yet. Um, when we look at gender as a binary, we're assuming that it, that gender is fixed and that gender is related to anatomy, biology. Um, and that is again, something that's kind of been constructed, right? 
And then the binary doesn't allow for like more gray area and it doesn't allow for fluidity. Um, it doesn't allow us to just kind of be able to express who we, like what we feel every single day. Um, and I, I think of it sometimes too, as like black and white thinking, right? Like we, as therapists, we yeah. try to help our clients not think in that way, but that is, the binary is very black and white. Right? Oh, for sure. Right. So that's just some of the ways. Yeah, no, I, and you bring up really good points. I think looking at the social construct of it might be confusing for some people who maybe never thought of it from that point of view. So I think it's really mm -hmm. keeping that up for sure. Mm -hmm. So as we continue to dig a little deeper, talk to us about gender identity. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so gender identity is how, um, or how I think of it, is how an individual kind of experiences, defines for themselves, um, expresses for themselves their personal gender. And that may or may not have anything to do with their actual um, gender assigned at birth or their sex. Great, good concise way of describing it. Um, yeah. Personal gender, what it means to us. I think that's another key thing to really focus in on and, and shifting for those who maybe have a hard time understanding this, really helping people shift their mindset with things too. So how personal mm -hmm. our, our view of our own gender is and how we- Yeah, sure. and how much do we individually think that we have to look a certain way because of what we were told who we are? Right, right. We, right. All, we all do that up to some extent. Yes, we do, for sure. Which then I think is a good lead into looking at gender expression. So tell us a little bit of defining gender expression and what that means. Yeah, that is basically just how we how do we express our own version of gender. Um, so that can be through the clothes we wear, um, whether or how we wear makeup, um, our own our like body hair, um, like facial hair, um, our haircuts. Because again, society has kind of given us ideals of what's more masculine and feminine in all these different ways. Um, but yeah, that's basically how do we express our gender. Right, right. So then how does gender identity differ from sexual orientation? Yeah, so the two aren't super necessarily related. Um, uh, sexual orientation is, is who are you attracted to either romantically or um, kind of other, any other forms of attraction. If you look at asexuality, there's a whole spectrum of um, versions of that. And it really doesn't necessarily have to do with your gender identity, right? Which is just your gender identity. Right. Um, right. Now gender and sexual, sexual orientation intersect because we talk about attraction um, in terms of gender, right? that our own experience of gender and our own sexual orientation may or may not be associated. Um, and I wanted to mention too, there's two really awesome graphics you can find online. Um, the genderbred person is one yes. yeah. and the gender unicorn is another one. Yeah. Um, they're both really excellent at uh, delineating all these terms we just talked about, including yeah. the um, gender identity versus sexual orientation. So just Google either one of those things. And it's right there for you. It's a great visual. I appreciate you mentioning both because that's actually personally what I'll use with my clients as well as we're navigating things to help them understand the difference between the terms and stuff like that. So, so yeah, thank you for plugging both of those. Yeah, absolutely. What does it mean to be non-binary? 
So non-binary identities are going to be different for every non-binary person, potentially. Um, My experience of being non-binary is kind of not fitting in the binary. Like I don't, the, the word woman has never quite felt right for me. Um, but the word man has never fight quite felt right for me either. Um, I am just somewhere in between or somewhere that's just neither one of those things. Um, I tend to dress maybe a little bit more masculine of center um, as someone who was assigned female at birth, but sometimes I don't. Um, and one thing about me that I am aware of when I'm in the world is um, I haven't shaved my legs in about six or seven years. And I, my own kind of ethnic heritage, <laughs> I have a lot of dark hair and it's very obvious. You can see that from like a block away. Um, and I live in a part of Philadelphia where that is safe. Um, I'm one of many people who, who kind of present this way. Um, but it is something I am very aware of. Um, if I'm maybe somewhere else where I'm not sure how I'll be um, seen. For some people, some non-binary can mean more like gender fluidity, um, which is just going with how you feel on a day-to-day or moment-to-moment basis. Um, some people might say I'm gender fluid. Some people might say I'm gender non-binary and fluid. Um, so it is kind of different for everybody. Part of my non-binaryness is using they, them pronouns. That, that just has felt right to me from the minute I started using it. Um, some people you might hear use they or she, or they or he, or say all the pronouns are good, or use other pronouns like Zezer or things like that. So that brings us to why do pronouns matter then? Mm, yes. There is something very affirming about your pronouns matching your gender experience and very affirming when other people use the correct pronouns that also match your gender experience. Um, there's a, it feels like you're being seen. Um, validated. Validated, respected. Yeah, good word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, them can be a particularly difficult one for people to get used to. Um, but when I talk about the pronoun they, them, I point out how often we use that. We use the singular they all the time in mm-hmm. language if we don't know exactly who we're talking about. But it's when we can picture an individual person that suddenly we don't want to use the singular they, right? But the singular they is in the dictionary now, um, it, it, like as like used um, to define people who use that as their pronoun. Um, when I can speak from personal experience when someone is having difficulty with it, but they are trying and um, they might make a mistake, but catch themselves and apologize quickly and move on, that's fine. When somebody repeatedly mispronouns me and doesn't seem to be trying, I, I certainly feel a level of disrespect that can be really difficult. Which brings it back to why it's so important and that pronouns do matter. So exactly. for you, if you see someone who's at least trying and maybe catches themselves, that's, that's great. But for someone mm-hmm. who's maybe very, very specific in not using it, then it, it can be very hurtful. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. It's another kind of harmful thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is- um, and, and I do want to highlight the, oh, um, yeah. if you make a mistake, like it is okay. And it's important to not spend too much time apologizing because, <laughs> you know, most non-binary people are dealing with that on a regular basis. Um, so apologize, move on, keep, keep it, keep it flowing. It's very important. Yeah, gotcha. exactly. Gotcha. So what else can we do to be more supportive of, of people's gender identity? So in preparation for this question, I made a big list and, you know, any one of these things could be a whole podcast. So I'm going to try to be <laughs> as concise as I can. No worries. Um, I think the biggest one is kind of what we've already talked about, right? So an attitude of respect towards people, um, being open to whatever someone's experience of their gender is, not making any assumptions about um, that experience. Um, even if you've worked with five trans clients, your sixth one is going to be completely different from each individual one person of those five, right? Right. Um, so it's important to never make assumptions. And then at the same time, it's important to refrain from asking too many questions. As a therapist, um, it's important to be careful that when you are asking questions about your client's gender, especially if you're working with a trans or non-binary client, that you pay attention to why you're asking it. Um, if you ever find yourself asking it because you're just curious, um, that feels very voyeuristic. Yeah. Uh, we can kind of sense it. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't feel appropriate. So trust that your trans and non-binary clients will share stuff with you as they feel comfortable. Um, and if you have to ask a question because maybe you're more of a medical professional or prescriber or something, um, just preface it with, I know this is a personal question. I have to ask for these reasons. Um, some of those types of questions, um, never ask anybody for their dead name. And the dead name is, uh, the name that they were given at birth. Um, if they haven't yet legally changed their name, that is the name that will probably show up in the chart. Um, so, which brings me to another point, which is when you're starting up with any new client, ask what they want to be called. That's yeah. anybody across the board, right? right. Um, and then it's also important to, unless you really need to know the answer, you don't need to ask what treatment they've done, what surgery they've done, if any, don't ever make assumptions that they have or have not. Um, and only ask that if you need to know. If your client thinks you need to know, they'll probably just share it with you, right? right. Um, which, and I wanted to point to another really awesome thing on online. Um, there's an interview that Katie Couric did like a few years ago um, with two trans women. And she asks one of them if they've had uh, surgery or like she asked something about their body parts, like very personal invasive question. And she responds, her name is Carmen Carrera. She responds with, um, can you not ask me that? That's a little personal. And she tells, she explains why. And then Laverne Cox comes on. He's another trans woman who many people might know. And mm -hmm. she really digs into why that's inappropriate um, in terms of like, what if we're just thinking about that, what else, what are we not seeing? Right. right? Um, so I strongly recommend looking that up. Yeah. Look up Katie Couric, Carmen Carrera, Laverne Cox interview. Um, there's a really good video where you see that and Laverne Cox just really explains it well. Um, so another resource for you. Yeah. Um, another thing is learn about transness, right? Learn about non-binariness. There's so much to learn. Yeah. Um, some of the things that I thought of um, what barriers do trans and non-binary people experience in day-to-day -day life? 
or um, just in their experience of being trans, um, learn more about gender dysphoria and what that is and when it matters, um, learn about health disparities of trans people compared with um, not trans people, with cis people, um, especially because that might be impacting your ability to do therapy with people. Part of why health disparities exist is that um, a lot of the medical world still don't know how to competently treat trans people. Um, and a lot of trans people have been mistreated and thus avoid any right. medical setting altogether, right? Yeah. Um, it's important to learn about the history of discrimination against trans people um, and like things, common concerns that trans and non-binary people face, like um, safety or um, right now, there's so much anti-trans legislation coming out in different states. Yeah. Um, so learning about that, the more you know about um, trans experience, the better you'll be able to serve trans people. Um, and the more you can avoid needing your clients to teach you things, which, you know, we don't want to, it's nice to empower clients to teach you things, but it's also like, we don't want them doing too much work for us, right? Mm -hmm. um, and just a couple other things. Um, yeah best to generally avoid like gendered titles like miss or mister or like ladies um, until you know what the preference is right so you can just ask again um, better like more gender neutral terms like if you're working with a group in group therapy just like use the word folks or people yep, yep. Um, rather than like you guys or anything gender and then another really good thing is to disclose your pronouns um, when you're talking with people or working with people and ask people there's um, I don't I don't always remember to do that like it's not it's just so not common practice that um, kids are doing it more often than schools yeah. now so it's becoming yeah. more common practice yeah, which, is is. Great. which is great yeah. yeah sure yeah yeah and then I just wanted to, to name a very depressing fact which is that um, there we still are dealing in our country with um, trans women mostly being murdered um, the human rights campaign tracks how many uh, people are killed every year. And so far in 2022, it's 25. And that's just people they know of. Oh, wow. Um, and then it's typically highly majority Black trans women. Um, they keep 25 trans people, highly high majority are Black trans women. 2021, it was about 50 wow. um, all over the country. So it's an, an important thing to know, especially when you're thinking about the experience of being trans in the world and thinking about how safe people are and are not. No, thank you for, thank you for sharing that fact because it's very sobering, especially yeah. as we're, we're seeing black trans women, especially being targeted and, and killed. So Exactly. <sighs> Sometimes by partners, by family members, by random strangers. And, yeah. Such a shame. <clears throat> shame. Can you share with us other takeaways? You may have for us. Yeah, well, I wanted to share, you know, that I think the LGBTQ community is one of the most joyful, resilient communities that there are. Um, yeah. We'll never stop fighting for rights, um, even as they continue to kind of get stripped away. Um, we also are gaining them at the same time in different mm -hmm. ways. Um, I want to point out that um, Stonewall, which was like one of the biggest queer, like the first Kind of beginning of public civil rights um, movements for queer people were, was led by two trans women of color, often not get right. um, covered. No, that's always commonly known. Right. Um, Marsha P. Johnson, 
and I think Daisy Rivera, something Rivera, and I should have looked that up before this, but um, those were the two big, big names. Um, and then I wanted to offer a short excerpt, short-ish, maybe one minute excerpt from a poem. Love that. Please, please share it. Okay. Um, and what, the reason I love this poem is that it kind of goes into some of the really hard things, right, about being queer and trans. Um, and then it ends on this also really beautiful note um, that can give you chills. So the poem is by Andrea Gibson. Um, Andrea Gibson is a white, non-binary, queer person. Um, this poem book is called You Better Be Lightning. It's their most recent one. And the poem is called Queer Youth Are Five Times More Likely to Die by Suicide. Hard, hard truth at the beginning of the book. Right. Right. Queer youth are five times more likely to die by suicide means you lived five times harder than you should have had to to still have a body when you graduated high school. Means hate worked five times harder to make your spirit its wishbone. Means when your mother asked what was wrong, you were five times more likely to believe you'd lose her if you spoke the truth means you were told five times more often you'd go to hell when you died, means burning for eternity seemed five times more doable than another day in the school lunchroom, means you were five times more inclined to triple padlock your diary, means you were five times more likely to stop writing your story down, means I write my heart out now, means there are many days I thirst for my own silence, but walk through the desert screaming instead because I, like most of my queer friends, don't have a child. I have millions, from Nebraska to Chechnya to the Baptist church where I grew up. My pride in them is a parade I know won't keep all of them alive, but I keep cutting my diary into confetti to throw at their hopes when they float by scared or furious or laughing or in love and desperate for the headline to say, queer youth are five times more likely to offer to walk their younger siblings home from school, to notice the different accents of sparrows, to find an eyelash and spend 20 minutes trying to pick what to wish for, five times more likely to never outgrow blanket fort, to know there is a word for the scent in the air after it rains, to see lifelines look like telephone wires and call a friend who's having a bad day. Five times more likely to adore the last man who walked on the moon just because he wrote his daughter's initials there. To know there is no universe in which they would not be proud of their own children. Queer youth are five times more likely to see how you dream of seeing, to see you how you dream of seeing yourself. To write something in your yearbook that will get you through the next decade to spot a stranger crying and ask if there's anything they can do to help. Five times more likely to need us to do the same. That is, Jay, wow, that, that is so moving. I'm finding myself to be pretty emotional right now and, and talking about yeah. chills. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing that, wow. Okay. Andrea Gibson. Thank you, I was just gonna ask her her name again. Thank you, I appreciate yeah. it. And yeah. thank you for everything you shared today with us. Was there anything else you wanted to share with us? Um, I don't think so, but thank you so much for having me on. 
You shared so much today. I appreciate this conversation. Very moving conversation. Very educating conversation as well for those who really didn't understand the continuum. So I think you did a great job concisely explaining each of the terminology. And, and part of this of breaking uh, you know, the stigma to things and everything is to educate about it. You know, so absolutely educating about it today. So thank you again for sharing your knowledge and who knows, it might, might be another future episode talking about music therapy or something like that. Coming yeah, up. happy to do it. All yeah. right. Take care, Jane. <laughs> Thank, Thank you so much. You're welcome.